0: Play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here, fired by straight shooters, S and gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the objective basketball podcast as here, Lauren joining me as always. And Lauren, guess who is joining the Los Angeles Clippers? <laughs> it is James Frickin' Harden, the beard himself. Uh, The trade finally went down. Uh, the specifics essentially is Robert Covington, KJ Martin, Nicholas Batum, I believe Marcus Morris as well. A couple of first round picks headed towards Philadelphia and in return, the Philadelphia, the LA Clippers get PJ Tucker and James Harden. James Harden had his introductory press conference, literally 20 minutes before we recorded this podcast. And he had some very interesting quotes about the whole situation, Lauren. It was to say the least. Spicy. It was spicy. Okay. He said, I'm not a system player. I'm a system. So he's essentially saying I was on a little bit of a leash uh, in Philadelphia. Now I want to read the full quote to you because it Please seemed do. like clearly the rift between him and Doc Rivers was a big issue for him last year. Um, obviously the contractual issues, but I'll just, I'll read the quote. Okay. So a reporter asking, and, and how do you feel it's gonna work here compared to how it worked in Philadelphia? And he said, I don't think when I'm in a leash, I'm not just shooting the basketball every time. I meant like I think the game and I'm a creator on the court. You know what I mean? So if I got a voice where I can say, hey coach, I see this. What do you think about this? Then it's like, okay, somebody that trusts me, that believes in me, that understands me, that I'm not just I'm not a system player, I'm a system. You know what I mean? So somebody that can have that dialogue with me and understand and move forward and figure out and make adjustments on the fly throughout the course of the game. That's all I really care about. It's not about me scoring the basketball, scoring 34 points. I've done that already, so that's what I meant by that. Okay. Hmm. So the full quote, quote, the full quote gives you a little bit more context, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's not saying, oh, give me the ball, get out my way. Yeah. Right, He's he's sort of alluding to the fact that Doc Rivers had a very rigid system in place, um, mm-hmm. and he wasn't allowed to be a little bit more creative. And you know what? I actually think in that situation, James Harden is right. Uh, it's, it's like, it's yes, James Harden was – he led the league in assists last year. He was a borderline all-star. He was a high-usage player still last year,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: – Ultimately, I do think that he did sacrifice a certain amount to to fit into this system that Philadelphia was doing. The Sixers looked good when he bought into that system. There's yeah. no question about that. But at the same time, I think what he's saying is like affording the luxury of being a little bit more malleable with your approach, mm-hmm. a little bit more flexible with your adjustments. And what's the one thing we know about Doc Rivers and him not being good at? Adjustments. In-game adjustments, <laughs> right. specifically. So, I do think, to be honest with you, that this was more of a Doc Rivers thing in terms of maybe him not wanting to be there as much. And obviously, mm-hmm. the contract extension and the contract situations kind of added on to that situation. So, I don't know, man. I think there's a chance that this Clippers thing can work out much better than it did in Brooklyn and in Philadelphia. Now, to be fair, Maybe it's the boy who cried wolf situation and I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt when I shouldn't be. Where do you sit on the whole, is this going to work in Los Angeles?
1: Oh, man. Uh, that it's, it's a very loaded question because there are, I would say that this Clippers situation is probably the most, mo- like, there are so many factors involved with this situation. There are so many moving parts. And I think it's, it's more than these recent super, you know, quote unquote super teams that we've seen and these, these big time trios. Because whether or not, however you categorize Russell Westbrook and where he fits into all of this, there's just a lot of dynamics going on here. And so, as far as where it can work, I think it's one of those things that at the surface level feels like one too many cooks in the kitchen. And it's real easy to say that, but. You also on the flip side, look at how much we've spent, how much time we've spent talking about Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and how they just need to be available and then go from there and see what they can really put together when they're finally healthy. But if they can rely on a guy who is a quote unquote system who can kind of make things happen himself, then. The other players might be able to feed off of that and it might just give them more flexibility. So I do, I do definitely obviously need to see a little bit of it. I don't want to jump one way or the other because the people that are saying this will never work. Absolutely not. This is just, there are too many flaws that you can just see on day one. I I hear what they're saying and I don't think that you can completely just discount what they're saying because we haven't seen it because we have seen James Harden in super team situations. So I think it's, I think those statements are fair. But I think that this is a different situation, and him playing alongside these wings and in sort of a small ball system, I think that that could be an interesting situation to surround him with, or or those pieces to surround him with at this stage in his career. So I'm interested to see what it looks like. And I'm interested, I mean, we saw the Clippers be incredibly active at last year's trade deadline, trying to kind of maneuver and get those right pieces and slot those right pieces in. So I do think that there's a chance that we could see them do the same thing, kind of mix up the formula a little bit, and they might be able to put together a really, a really solid group. So I yeah. don't want to count them out, but I also, would I pick them as my favorite? Probably not. Too many questions. Well,
0: there are some betting places that are picking them as their favorite <laughs> to fair. come out of the West. <laughs> and um, I mean, honestly, I, I wouldn't jump to that point yet. I agree with you. I think there are pros and cons to the situation. So there's a way this works, and then there's a way that this doesn't work, right? The way this doesn't work is James Harden comes in, commandeers the offense. Uh, mm-hmm. We see less usage for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Uh, the wing depth that they depleted in Robert Covington and Nick Batum and Marcus Morris, that becomes a more prevalent issue, even despite mm-hmm. P.J. Tucker being on the team. And we see this team wholly struggle when it comes to you know crunch time situations, figuring out how that looks, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The pro-working-out situation is that jam- the, the Clippers offense, especially the half-court offense, bogs down into a lot of isolation basketball. It bogs down into... Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, who are not the best uh, creators for others. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. they're adept, but they're no James Harden. And it makes it so that with James Harden, you now have an otherworldly type of creator who can not only get shots for himself, but get shots and easier shots for his teammates. And that's been evident throughout his entire career, regardless of the playoff performances, regardless of all that type of stuff. What is evident about James Harden? is that he does make his teammates better. In that, there is mm-hmm. no question. So that you can even have quotes from Tyrese Maxey and, you know, P.J. Tucker and all these guys of him saying, wow, like, he opened the floor for us a lot more. Um, and I think even Joel Embiid would speak to that fact right now. I yeah. ultimately think that this Clippers offense, you know, I, I was watching their game last night against the Lakers, and this Clippers offense is dying for a creator like James Harden. They right. need... That's that still- type of facilitator. It's just mm-hmm. think when things when the going gets tough for that team, they are trying to take and make way too many tough shots. And to be fair, mm-hmm. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have made a career out of taking and making really difficult shots. But Absolutely. when it comes down to playoff basketball, when it comes down to executing at a really high level and potentially making a deep playoff run, you need easy shots. You need an offensive system and. As James Harden said, he is a system, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, so I I think there is a world in which this works. And I agree. I, I would lean to let's see how it looks because I mm-hmm. think James Harden is motivated. I think he clearly has to play very well because he's in a contract year. Yep. And ultimately, there's a lot of conversation about him. There's a lot of conversation about Kawhi Leonard. There's a lot of conversation about Paul George. Hell, there's even a lot of conversation about Russell Westbrook and Ty Lue, So mm-hmm. I think all of these guys are super motivated to like prove people wrong. And yeah. when you have that on a team, I think that's a powerful dynamic. Um, all the drama and, you know, chemistry issues and things be damned. I really do think that can galvanize a group in a major way. Yeah, and these guys are all South Central LA LA type of guys, mm-hmm. right? All of these yeah. guys grew up in the area. I think I don't know man I just I feel like maybe this is the thing that yeah, kind there, of there, yeah there could there you know? could be something to
1: it and I I think I'm I'm glad you mentioned Ty Lu as well because I feel like I haven't maybe seen enough people talk about Ty Lu and his his role in all of this obviously very well-known very well-respected coach but inserting James Harden into this system, it could sort of be the perfect storm. I think that there's a real possibility of that here when you've got someone like Ty Lu at the helm. And so I think that that's going to be an intriguing sort of, an- yet another intriguing factor to all of this. One thing that I wanted to ask you, kind of looking back at when we first talked about the Clippers and looking forward, and I think I had asked, I don't remember exactly how I phrased it, but something along the lines of, is this the last year of the mm. Paul George-Kawhi Duo, is this and the I final straw? I've vehemently
0: said yes, I vehemently I, and I agreed
1: yes. with you, and I think yeah. most people probably would have. But now, kind of similar, very different situations, but similar in the sense of with Milwaukee, that now you kind of have this significantly new formula with. Right high expectations you sort of just extended I mean taking apart everything we talked about the new the new arena and all that stuff the this core and having a different sort of identity it really opens things up so I think for the Clippers I mean people talking about who won the trade I honestly think I mean I'm not even really going to get into that right now but I think for the Clippers this is a move you absolutely had to make and the fact that you were able to keep Norman Powell and Terrence Mann I mean yeah, that's way. a big deal
0: Huge win, yeah. And look, like you said, like the Clippers are aggressive. They usually do something at the deadline. They can potentially package a Norman Powell and Terrence Mann. Mm -hmm. They don't have any picks anymore to package, but they can package that salary to potentially go out and get something else if they want to. Lots
1: of options. Even Um, Zubats, lots of mm movable contracts, lots of
0: options. Absolutely, absolutely. And ultimately, uh, it's funny you say that, the question about them potentially staying together. because. Okay, if you look at the Suns, right, and I'm not saying they're a perfect apples to apples comparison, but they made right. that Kevin Durant trade, and that Kevin Durant trade sort of prolongs um, what they are supposed to be, right? Their championship <clears throat> window, if you will. Um, I think in a lot of ways, when there's a like, mid-season trade, when there's a trade in the middle of the season, or when a new player is being thrusted into a system, it provides the front office and ownership a little bit more of leeway to be like, hey... We just brought this player in midseason. We right. didn't get a full training camp with him. We didn't get a full summer with him. Let's re-sign this guy. Let's re-sign Paul George. Let's re-sign Kawhi Leonard. We got a new stadium out in Inglewood. Let's go out and let's do this our way next year as well. And let's try it again. I think that's a pretty good possibility now that they have James mm-hmm. Harden. And also yeah. it you know, having those three guys plus Russell Westbrook, it gives you the room to to tweak things in the summer if you want to so if you want to take out one of those pieces let's Mm -hmm. say you're like okay we like james we like Kawhi, but maybe pg we move on from and by the way pg has been absolutely phenomenal to start (laughs) right he's been balling out um so but like i'm just saying ultimately like it gives you the leeway to like tweak things if you need to um and maybe they go that direction you mentioned philadelphia i think that is a very good point i would say That they are positioned pretty well for the future, at least the the immediate future. I think they have the salary right now to go after another star, should they want to. You know, let we we'll probably talk about the Bulls because we're going to talk about Mm -hmm. the Mavericks in in a minute. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they have the salary to go after a Demar Derozan, to go after a Zach Levine, and because of where the Bulls situation is at, I don't think they have to spend an arm and a leg to go and get those guys. Um, they might be able to go out and get a Pascal Siakam if they want to, who's, who's an expiring salary, who, you know, they might be able to sign in the summer, obviously Joel Embiid, another Cameroonian, like, so there's, there's the connection there. Maybe those are some options that they look at. Carl Anthony Towns, another guy that is like interesting, maybe could fit alongside Joel Embiid. The defensive stuff is kind of wonky. I'm not sure if I would necessarily do that if I was Philadelphia, but. Again, something you gotta that they be can address if they options. want to.
1: Yeah, exactly. That being said, exactly. Philly
0: has options. Yeah, yeah. Philly has options. Yeah. And like in the summer, yes, they have to extend Tyrese Maxey to a max extension. That will take up a chunk of their uh, open cap space. But they have about 40-ish million from what I saw from Brian tweeting earlier that they have about 40-ish million dollars after that. And mm-hmm. that's enough to go after an OG and if they want to or you know, somebody else on the open market that they might be interested in. So Philly is in a really good position to extend how long Joel Embiid is going to give them a chance because Mm -hmm. he's not going to ask for a trade this summer or or he's not going to ask for a trade this summer. He's not going to ask for a trade uh, this season either. And I think that's probably a conversation that gets pushed along a little bit longer Okay. Because of how they've dealt with this situation, Philly Philly won, and I think the Clippers won as well. This was sort of a win-win for both of them, in my opinion. Do you feel yeah. the same way?
1: You know, I'm I'm glad you asked that because the, again, a lot of layers to this. Because at the surface, you when I first saw it, I was like, "Man, no Norm Powell, no Terrence." Man, but then I saw the picks, and I was like, "You know, to get future assets for an expiring James Harden, when this situation has..." deteriorated to the extent that it has and and plus the the value of so much expiring salary and guys that are going to be like desired at the trade deadline that i mean i don't i don't it's hard for me to knock that and so for philly i think that they did as well as you probably could have hoped and and this deal even if you're someone that prioritizes player return like current asset player value in a trade uh package in return like you just got to take into consideration the value of those of those expiring deals because that really does add so so much in terms yeah. of flipping right now and extending the return but then also like you said what you can do in free agency. So I I would say I'm a little less confident in Joel Embiid's current satisfaction. Like I don't know how much this really pushes his like concern out. I'm really curious to see what they can do at the trade deadline, maybe even starting as early as December when guys become available. Uh, but I right. do think that they're in a position where they're going to need to look at a bunch of different options and they're going to need to pivot a bit. But I'm really intrigued to see how they kind of build, not bi- build around as a, a poor way to put it, but what they try to do to structure a future backcourt surrounding are partnering with Tyrese Maxey. I think that they've got some really intriguing options that are things that they could do there. Um, So I'm excited to see what they do with that. And, and, and I'm also intrigued to hear more from Embiid because I'm still sort of like, how is this really going to unfold? Because this just happened. We need to see what the games look like. We need to see how maybe some of these players come back in. It looked like Robert Covington was, you know, excited to be back home. And uh, and then Marcus Morris seemed excited to get out of there. So I think that yeah. Philly could find themselves in a position to sort of like, all right, let's get things going. Um, but... I don't know. I, I, I want to see how many games they can win, what they look like, and, and sort of how the pieces are really gelling together, especially when you've got a new head coach in there as well. There's just a lot of pieces coming in and out, a lot to deal with, but you know, it's it's time to, to figure it out. It's the, it yes. does feel like the clock is ticking, at least from where I'm sitting
0: yeah and it's going to be a wait and see po- process yeah. for a lot of this uh i yeah. think from both sides from the clipper side from the Sixers side we got to see how these teams look um and i think ultimately like surface level i think both teams went away from this being not better, but I think they just, they yeah. have improved their situations a little bit more. Yes. Um, that
1: without question.
0: Yeah. The the Sixers are going to be playing the Toronto Raptors and we're going to get into our segment about our teams, the Raptors and yes. Mavericks in a second, but we're just going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Let's do a weekly, pretty much. We're trying to do a segment on our own specific teams. Uh, the Raptors are taking the Philadelphia 76ers on this week. It's Interesting because we were just talking about the Sixers and their situation. We'll see how that looks. Obviously, some of those guys will be available tonight. (laughs) Um, But ultimately, from the Raptors' perspective, they absolutely demolished the Milwaukee Bucks last night. It was weird to see, to be honest with you, after the weekend that they had losing to the Sixers, losing to the Blazers, losing to the Bulls. It was just, (laughs) it was like, what is going on here? Uh, they had an offensive explosion. They scored 130 points against the Bucks. I think, yes, there were some really positive signs from the Raptors side of things. Scotty Barnes is coming to into his own more. He had a 20-point double-double in consecutive games for the first time in his career. Uh, he's averaging over two blocks a game. He's, he's been dominant defensively. He's shooting the ball at an excellent clip. Maybe that doesn't stick around, but overall, that's a positive sign. I think the main takeaway here from that Raptors game, though, is just how bad the Bucks have looked <laughs> to start this year. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't just apply to that Raptors game. I watched their game against the Hawks and Lauren, man, like they can't stop a nosebleed. Like mm-hmm. the defense has been very, very brutal. Yeah. And maybe it's the system. Maybe it's them trying to get used to new personnel, new coach, new, new coaching style. Uh, but it has not been good so far for the Bucks. It's been very, very shaky.
1: Yeah. <sighs> I mean, with Milwaukee, real quick, before we kind of keep going with the Raptors. Sure, yeah. It's been a little, like what you said about like the coaching system, you obviously are going to expect changes, but to see them be so dominant last year, and even years before then, they've always had a strong defensive identity. To see it shift to the degree that it has has me like asking big time questions. Like, what do you yeah. that I didn't expect that obviously you with the, the players that went out, we don't need to we don't need to revisit that. But yeah, I didn't expect it to to look the way it has looked. And so I mean, you kind of hope that those those kinks get ironed out and everything works out. But uh, and, I, and personally, I think they'll be fine. Let me let me preface by I do think that they will be fine. But I do think that it's it's been pretty concerning. And I don't know, I don't know that I have a, a specific answer on what it is that they need to address in like the immediate, like right now to get things changed. Do you have any thoughts on, on hmm. that real quick?
0: I think they have tried to play a very aggressive defensive style. It's mm-hmm. pulling Brooke Lopez out of the paint a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's forcing Giannis to be more of an on ball defender and it's yeah. just not, you know, good for those guys' particular skill sets defensively to mm-hmm. be in that position. Um, I think ultimately, Brooke Lopez is a guy who has to play a conservative style of defense. He was really great in that. I mean, last year he was, what, second in rookie defense player of the year voting. Um, mm-hmm. He was phenomenal. And I think when you play, the thing is, in order to play a conservative style of defense, you need to have a perimeter defense that you can trust and rely on. And the Bucks mm-hmm. perimeter defense just has been very, very bad. Um, the Raptors, you know, they've been emphasizing paint touches and getting into the teeth of the defense. And they were doing it at will against the Bucs. At will. And yeah. that's just so surprising because that's been so unconventional for this Bucks team over the last five years. They've been one of the best interior defenses in the entire NBA for like five years in a row. And yeah. that just hasn't been the case so far. And... Again, I don't want to ring the alarm bells too much in mm-hmm. the first five games of the season, but it does feel concerning that this team that, you know, like I said, hung, his hat, hung its hat on the defensive side of the ball is now completely shifting into a, a an identity of an offensive first team. And by the That's way... Wild. Their offense doesn't look that great either. Um, yeah. In in the Hawks game, I believe they 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 gave up twenty four turnovers, and the the team absolutely dominated them in transition. In the Raptors game, I can't remember how many turn, turnovers they got, but my guy Samson Folk he mentioned that the Raptors scored three times as many to, uh, points in transition as the Bucks did. That's crazy. Which is just absolutely insane for the Bucks, which are which were used to be again. One of the best transition teams in the NBA. So this, the Bucks, the Bucks feel like they're going through a little bit of an identity crisis, Um, Mm -hmm. and that'll happen when you uproot your team, right? You're adding Mm -hmm. Damian Lillard, one of the best, you know, top seventy-five type player into the mix here. How does that work with Giannis? How does that work with Brooke Lopez? How does that work with Chris Middleton? You're adding another, uh, you know, piece in there, and Adrian Griffin, who is a rookie head coach who's still trying to figure things out, and you know, yep. adopt his own coaching style, maybe a little bit too much to a team that probably needs to play similar to how they have over the last five years. Mm-hmm. So my questions are more so like, when is this team going of level out? Because I yeah. feel like it's been on the opposite side of the spectrum of what people expect. I don't expect it to be this bad for the entire year. Like you yeah. said, I think it'll, it'll round itself out. But to, I'm concerned about the defense, yeah. to say the least.
1: Yeah, a little. It's like a little, a little too. You you have a like a reasonable expectation of of like not growing pains, but like transition, like a transition period. But then when it seems like such a drastic change or like such a, that's when I'm kind of like, hmm. Um, But switching back to the Raptors, what Scotty Barnes has done to start the season is not getting talked about enough, and I mean it's a big it's a big deal, and I think what the Raptors. I always come back to, okay, the Raptors looking forward, I I actually like their group. And people, I mean, people have, lo- like, look at right now, and they, uh, they're like, oh, the Raptors, are going to be at the bottom, or they're going to have a rough year. But when I look at the Raptors, I'm like, okay, but look at these different pieces. And, and I think how they've started the season, looking at some of their individual guys, especially what Dennis Schroeder has stepped yeah, in and awesome. done, I yeah. mean... It's a fun group, and so obviously a lot to figure out in the long term. but I think right now, if you kind of pick apart the individual pieces and what they sort of have, I like them. I think that they're a fun team. Um, I saw somebody tweet, I don't remember who what which account it was, but somebody was like, the vibes are good in Toronto again. Do you oh, yeah, feel yeah, like that's yeah. accurate?
0: Yeah, so they they have you do they have yeah no you th- know I, I i it's funny you ask that because they have this th- they're bringing out the chain you know because every mm-hmm. team that's trying to reinstill the vibes nowadays they will give you a, a chain at the end of the game uh and they have a win the day chain and pascal siakam wore the win yes. the day chain that for was the first the photo time that i saw so yes, yes. Th- the vibes the vibes do feel like they're back i think ultimately this this yeah yeah look i think my expectations for this team were Low compared to general consensus. I thought they Mm -hmm. would be probably in and around the play-in, maybe just outside of the play-in. And maybe that is what they are. Maybe they achieve better than that just because of the leap that Scotty Barnes is taking. But I think for the most part, they've been at where I expected. They're a very good defensive team. They might be one of the best, if not the best defensive team all year. Uh, mm-hmm. there's just there's so many defensive pieces, so much defensive talent on that team. It's gonna be hard to score on them on any given night. The Sixers, mm-hmm. I think, did the best job and they they gave up 110 points to the Sixers and like that is that's a that's great, right? Um yeah. I thought that was like that is their defensive identity. That's their identity as a team. It's like how are we gonna get stops, get out in transition, and score as much in transition as possible. And mm-hmm. anything else outside of that, I think. I was mostly looking for how this team is going to prioritize Scotty Barnes moving forward in the future yeah, and how they're going to prioritize yeah. the younger players. When it comes to Scotty, they have clearly emphasized, Hey, we're going to play this offensive system that curtails and tailors to you because this like, you know, 0.5 offense isn't like an offensive system. It's just like an ideology to have about how you want to play. Mm-hmm. And it's like quick decisions, right? Make quick decisions. Right. With the ball, And there might not be, a better player. No, okay. Not a better player, but like Scotty Barnes is like in the upper echelon of players that can make very, very quick and good decisions. Um, and yeah, it's just worked so well to his advantage. He's taken a leap defensively Mm -hmm. as well, which I think has been so special. Lauren, like his weak side defense, him roaming around the perimeter, him roaming around the weak side as the shot blocker. I think it's been phenomenal to watch and Like, this, people are going to be mad at this comparison, but I think realistically, Mm Scotty Barnes, his idealized version, whatever they're trying to build him into, is like a more talented offensive player than Sabonis, but with Mm -hmm. the playmaking chops of Sabonis, who can potentially, you know, get into the scoring and shooting department a little bit more. He's trying to expand his shot. If he can get that jumper to a point where it's consistent... He's a much more talented player offensively than Sabonis. Okay. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Now defensively, he's looking like he's going to be a much better player than Sabonis. Like Sabonis isn't a very good defender, but right. So so you're looking at a player like who would be Sabonis with the defensive acumen. Defense. That kind of reminds you of like Bam Adebayo, right? Bam Adebayo yeah, is 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 the type of player that comes but Bam Can't spread the floor. I think that's something that they're emphasizing a lot with Scotty Barnes. I think Bam is probably a bigger player. He plays, you know, he plays the center position. Scotty is more of a power forward, small forward type. Um, So there's differences. I'm not trying to make an apples to apples comparison, but I'm saying in terms of like the archetype of the type of player they're trying to mold him into Mm -hmm. with this system, reminds me of those types of guys. And that is, that is, that's like a, a huge compliment to him. Those guys are multiple <laughs> multiple time all-stars, multiple time all-NBA players. Those are guys that like are s- stars in this league. Yeah. And Scotty Barnes has made his way into star status, I think. Yeah. I think this year we're really seeing <coughs> him be more comfortable than he ever has. He looks mm-hmm. so much more confident. I think he knows that the team is prioritizing him and yeah. that probably makes him feel good. And you know, outside of everything else in the season, the expectations, Pascal, all that stuff, knowing that they are prioritizing Scotty Barnes and knowing that this is the guy moving forward and he is taking that leap, that's something you can hang your hat on forever. 100%. So, yeah, all good here, man. All good here yeah. as long as, as, long as Scotty is doing his thing, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, I think early on, it's sometimes, sometimes... When the season starts and you're like, oh, the players are going to shake the rust off, or sh- players are going to, they're going to get their legs under them. The shooting numbers will come up, but if they can start on day one and you can see the day one leap from last year, and it's like they have hit the ground running, they're bumping off Giannis on drives, they're they're doing all these things to a, a higher level than you saw last year. It's a big deal. And so with someone like Scotty, who a lot of people have sort of had this hope that he would turn into what yeah. he it looks like he's he's headed towards uh, is a really really big deal especially for toronto when you kind of look at last year and the questions of what does the future hold what are, what are the decisions what are we going to do and now it's sort of I, I mean i'm not saying all their questions are answered but i do think that seeing this early glimpse of what scotty barnes is turning into is a huge huge deal for toronto so it's what- it's fun to see and i'm excited
0: yeah, well, to your point, like, it makes you more confident in the plan long term, yeah, right? Yeah, so exactly. Good way for put they, it. they They hired Darko Ryakovich in with the idea of development and like, hey, mm-hmm. let's get these guys better, right? The right. reason they're playing Malachi Flynn 15 minutes off of the bench is because they're saying, hey, we got to find a way to get this guy better. Uh, Precious right. Achua is being empowered more often because they're like, hey, we got to figure out a way to get this guy better. They want to get these young guys to get to a point where they are maximized, whatever that maximized final version is. Scotty Barnes can be better than Sabonis. Scotty Barnes can be better than Bam Adebayo. I don't think that's even a question uh, in terms of like his his actual talent. Um, but the fact that he is well on his way to doing something like that, that's what makes you confident in the plan. And yes, it's five games. Yes, it's nine games if you count the preseason. But ultimately, <laughs> I I do feel more confident that this team, you know, Despite the Pascal stuff, despite the OG stuff, despite, you know, where this team might be headed in the short term, in the long term, building around like a guy like Scotty Barnes should field you a pretty get, damn good team. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, and yeah, we'll see what happens tonight against the Sixers. We'll see what happens throughout the season. Again, it's a long season, folks. We're only five games in for the Raptors. Uh, and we're only five games in for the Dallas Mavericks, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Four or five games. I can't remember. We're
1: f- yeah, four now, four now.
0: Okay, so look. Oh, yes, 4-0 for the – Was how many times have they done that? I saw on the broadcast the other day. Not uh, the, many. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is yeah. a historic start for the Dallas Mavericks.
1: Yeah, it's it's a big deal, and it's crazy because if I had asked you – if I had said there are two teams that remain <laughs> undefeated, one in each conference, how much of a percentage would you have said the Dallas Mavericks? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Probably not a high percentage. I'm not going to lie to you. Probably not a
1: high percentage. Yeah. But it's, I mean, they're doing this and, and, and I've seen many people talk about you've had a, a mediocre Luka game, a, a rough start defensive game against the Spurs, yep. no Kyrie. And so to see this team sort of rally together early, especially given the roster turnover, it is so exciting to watch. The mm-hmm. vibes are awesome. Everyone the vibes, the the vibes. vibes are awesome <laughs> in Dallas. I think everybody is excited seeing yeah. Grant Williams come in. There was a quote at media day where Lucas said Lucas said something along the lines of Grant Williams talks sometimes too much. It was something to that effect. Don't quote me. That wasn't the exact quote, but right. it was something like that. And I saw some people on Twitter, like sort of reacting to that a little bit. But I was like, Oh my god, Grant Williams is what we need. Grant Williams is I mean, everybody everybody's saying that. But then to yeah. see it again on day one, people have been talking about I've heard the announcers talk about during timeouts where Dallas has the, the, the way their timeouts take place. The coaches sort of meet together and the players sort of meet together and then they all yep. come together. And whether Grant Williams is on the floor or he's on the bench, he is the voice and they're talking like coaching on defense and sharing his, what he's oh, seeing. Yeah. And so it just seems like everybody sort of understands their role, and it's so, so early. But even someone like Derek Lively, who has really impressed so far, but you can tell it's like a playoff of Luca. try to do the right things, try to not foul, try to just, on a game-to-game basis, try to improve a little bit on these specific Mm -hmm. areas, and he is looking to be a quick learner. And so it's been very fun to watch. Um, Tim Hardaway has been phenomenal off the bench, Um, and and Derek Jones Jr. has been really fun to kind of see how that, a surprise... That's a surprise, the, right?
0: That's the that's the needle that's the thread I kind of want to pull here, real quick. Pull it. So yeah, I I um, I'm a Grant Williams fantasy owner, uh, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been pleasantly surprised with the shooting. Uh, I've yes. been very very happy, and I I kind of expected that to happen. Yeah, because the spacing you know, and- having having Luca and Kyrie, the defense is just going to go in on those guys consistently. It's going to open up so many shots for Grant mm-hmm. for Derek Jones Jr. And Derek Jones Jr., he's been hitting some shots, too. Like, I think Mm -hmm. last night against Chicago, there were a couple corner threes that he knocked down where you're like, oh, maybe this kind of makes sense. And, and, you know, as far as his length, as far as what he can do as an offensive rebounder, as a Mm -hmm. weak side rim protector type, he looks very good. Um, Yes. And he he provides us some sort of assurance for Derek Lively, sort of like, okay, Rook, like, hey, even if you make a mistake, I'm going to be here behind you just in case um and that's been what's impressive for me i just i think i i kind of i love the mavs a little bit Like i love love the uniqueness of some of the Mm -hmm. lineups that they can throw out Mm -hmm. again uh jaden hardy had a good game uh last night against the the bulls and it's like okay so one night if hardaway isn't cooking then you can throw out hardy in there okay josh green obviously is a guy that you can plug and play into any lineup grant williams is a guy who can scale up in his position Mm -hmm. Derrick Jones Jr., another guy who can scale up and down his position. Maxi Kleber mm-hmm. can play your big five. He can go down in four, maybe even play yep. a, a really, really big three. I just love the uniqueness of this mm-hmm. team. Uh, and I think, obviously, they have the top-end talent in Luka and yep. Kyrie. It's just it's so fun to see maybe a team that, that, that people – on, you know, he they, they look kind of rough in the regular yeah. season. Oh, sorry, in the preseason, in the and preseason, right. it was kind of shaky. The defense mm-hmm. looked pretty bad. bad. How do you yeah. think about how do you think the defense looks right now? Because yeah, I guess like is it enough?
1: <laughs> oh man, that's a that's a good question. I want to say right now, this group of Luca, Josh, Grant, Derek Jones Jr., and Derek Lively. I like it. I like that group defensively in terms of what they've been able to put together. But yeah. Kyrie is going to come back eventually. And so, so they're,
0: they're 19th. They're nine, right? I mean, obviously, again, we're five games <clears> in. So it's not right. that, you know, but they're 19th right now in defense. Uh, they mm-hmm. are, I would imagine, second or first. Yeah, they're second on offense. So on like, offense. I kind of expect that to be where they're at, actually. Uh, yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. For me, it's really about the second chance points, the rebounding. Can you like get the like what you said if tim hardaway jr is having an off night you can throw Jaden hardy in there you can also throw seth curry in there like there are so many guys that they can sort of try and maximize on a game-to-game basis if we want to go smaller if we want to go more defense more ball handling they do have options which is something that they've they've been missing in prior years. And so to even right. have young guys that even if you feel like you have to rely on them, I do feel confident that Derek Lively, Jaden Hardy, even Omax. Like Omax, I think there's been some discussion that – well, I don't even want to – I don't want to say that he's like, quote unquote, not ready, but there was a, 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 an, a like a level of hype building around him he in the preseason. He is a raw
0: player though. Yeah,
1: he, he's just, he just needs some time, but mm-hmm. I do, I would feel confident if they threw him out there that he would be making hustle plays. He would give you second chance points. I just right. think he's, he's still learning to the, to adjust to the pace of the game. And so, and there's nothing wrong with that. And so I feel very confident with the group, with the versatility, like you, like you had alluded to, um, that they have, it's, it's very exciting. And so I, I will be very curious to see what they do when Kyrie comes back. You know, it's kind of funny because early on this year, I don't remember exactly when it was, but you and I had talked about Well, if they want to go with Maxi in the starting lineup next to Lively because they want to go a little bit bigger, why wouldn't you just stick with Derrick Jones Jr.? Why wouldn't you and look at what we're seeing now? And so I think it's interesting because even though like whatever people's expectations were were for Derrick Jones Jr., he has sort of brought the Dorian Finney-Smith second chance points, offensive rebounding, explosive plays... He's obviously not as good of a shooter as Dorian Finney-Smith, but he's a better slasher than Dorian Finney-Smith. Yeah. So there's a bit of a trade-off there. Um, and I just think he slotted in really, really well to give them the size, the experience, um, and just the overall athleticism. And and one thing, one thing that I kind of always had in my mind was, okay, you're probably always going to see Grant Williams guarding the opposing best player and then Josh Green guarding the second best. But last night, if you consider Zach Levine to be their most lethal offensive threat... Derek Jones Jr. was picking him up. And so when you have an offensive or excuse me, a starting lineup that has Derek Jones Jr. guarding the first best player, Grant Williams guarding the second best player, and then Josh Green and Derek Lively with the kind, like that is something that Dallas has not had in the past. And so it's been super fun to see. I'm excited to to see them build this sort of lineup continuity and chemistry, and it already looks like the chemistry is building. So it's been really, really fun. And I'm really excited to see where this team's headed
0: the vibes they're back. I just wanted to put out some, some, some interesting numbers here. So that starting lineup, you mentioned sans Kyrie without Kyrie, uh, in the, in the, they, again, these are really, really small sample sizes. It's only 22 minutes, but the Josh green, Derek Jones, jr. Um, Derek lively and Max and Kleber starting lineup with Luca. They are giving up 98 points per 100 possessions on defense that would be an incredible mark for this team just like Mm -hmm. they are they are really really good defensively with Kyrie it's a little bit different it's one 102 but still like there is there is a world in which that works right Mm -hmm. um but also I think none of this works without Lively being as good as he has been throughout Mm -hmm. the through the first four games of the season he's like 8.5 8.5 points, 7.8 rebounds, uh, a steal, a block a game. He's shooting 78% from the field, which is just like he, you know, he's just living off of dunks and lobs. Mm-hmm. That's all he's doing.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: the one thing I'll say about Lively is that he mm-hmm. dunks exactly like Tyson Chandler. Like <laughs> he does, he, Oh, he does. Even the hang on the rim and like, you know, kind of shake yourself yep. thing, it reminds me so much of Tyson Chandler and how he would mm-hmm. like emphatically dunk the ball. Um, mm-hmm. it's kind of eerily scary it's wild, to remind, right? it, it's <laughs> like they saw him and they're like, holy crap, he's like a reincarnation. Um, exactly. It's, it's pretty wild. I look, he's a rookie. He's going to yes. make mistakes. He's going to have moments in which he, uh, maybe the, the brights, the lights are a little too bright for him, maybe yep. in the playoffs, etc. But I do think long-term having a guy like lively makes you so much more confident in the Mavs building process because yeah. Maybe now you can say hey we don't need to go after a Clint Capella at the center spot you know right. I don't think they should actually I think I think Lively is like he's already shown he's I'm, kind of yeah like he's yeah. I don't I don't want to say uh, he's I mean, ready I'm, but like
1: right but he's ready enough It's not going to take enough. much for
0: him yeah it's not going to take much for him You don't need to like to push all your point.
1: chips in- Exactly exactly I think there was this sort of um sense of urgency of like okay at this point you've got to go get it done, get it done, get Clint Capella in here, get Jared Allen in here. And if like, I think there were some people that might even have said, you know, if you have to overpay, do what you need to do to get him in here because if this team doesn't have a starting five, we're right back where we were last year. And so to have Derek Lively come in and and, and look the way he has looked and sort of just taking things as they come and also it does look like he's really making game to game improvements. And so mm-hmm. um, I think that, that I agree with what you said in, in terms of trusting the Mavs building process. Um, it definitely gives you a lot of kind of hope. And, and one thing that I wanted to just say real quick, yeah. Jason Kidd said at one point, we're very comfortable playing in the 120s. And I think going back to the high octane offense, cause they are playing with a lot more pace than they have played with in the past. And also kind of being the middle of the pack defense but then improving on the rebounding and even just the the general rim protection aspect of things from from last year when comparing to last year. I think right. that they're about as comfortable with that as you can get, especially when you have the backcourt that you have. Your your defense is only going to be, you know, so good. Um, and I think if they're comfortable playing in the 120s and they're comfortable with the pieces and the depth, I think that that's something to work with. And so, I I mean, I, I am excited about that.
0: Yeah, I... I actually think they're, you know, for different reasons. And I I think I said this the last time we had uh, our conversation about the Raptors and Mavericks. It's like for different Mm. reasons, they have very exciting uh, short-term and long-term goals. And I think that gives you a level of excitement when you're watching these teams. Obviously, the Luka Kyrie Mavs, they have goals of contention. Maybe that's not this season. Maybe it's next season. But like the, the goal eventually is to build a contender around this team. Uh, for the Raptors, it's a different story. It's going into a new era. It's like, Hey, the excitement of starting young, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately I think those things for fans can be really rewarding, uh, Mm -hmm. seeing the development and like the, the Mavs are trying to do something interesting in which, Hey, there's these guys who are trying to win, but there's also these young guys that you're incorporating in there Mm -hmm. that might just be ready right now. And let's, let's, and let's throw them into the wool, like throw them to the wolves to see what happens. Um, So, yes, I have been very impressed, very entertained by what we've seen from the Mavericks and and Raptors so far. Uh, It's been fun, Lauren. Very, very cool. Anything else you want to add before we head out of here?
1: (sighs) Feels good to be undefeated. And congratulations to the Texas Rangers world champs.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. Big Uh, time. Baseball. Good times in Dallas.
1: It is good times in Dallas. The Cowboys, (laughs) we're not even going to go there. We're just going to slide right past that. But the, the vibes are good in Dallas
0: okay all right baseball is definitely a thing ladies and gentlemen yes (laughs) i believe it is yeah (laughs) Uh, I actually, one of the only uh, Blue Jays games, I'm wearing a Blue Jays shirt, funny enough. Oh, I love Um, it. There you go. uh, One of the only Blue Jays games I tapped into was one where they got destroyed by the Texas Rangers. So (laughs) yes, congratulations (laughs) to the world (laughs) champions. Um, Uh, Okay, and thank you. Thank you very much for everybody who's tapped into the Objective Basketball Podcast. As always, do the liking, do the commenting, do the subscribing, do the reviewing, if you don't mind, of this podcast to keep this thing alive. Uh, From Lauren, from myself, we'll see you guys Follow hosts at JustSBerahini on all socials and at the Gun on Twitter. The Objective Basketball Podcast, delivering the NBA to you like no other.